Welcome, everyone, to our web clinic on optimization versus frustration, overcoming barriers to better tests and gains. What we are going to cover in today's marketing experiments web clinic is a topic that's come up quite a bit with uh, our audience. A lot of marketers tell us that they have problems with testing from knowing what to test, dealing with small sample sizes, having a, a place to go once they get the results and conducting follow-up tests appropriately, dealing with validity threats, the list goes on. What we'd like to cover in this web clinic is the strategy that we use to run our tests. It's a test protocol based in science, and it's something we found extremely helpful for our research partners, for our certification students, because it takes the intuition and the gut feeling out of the testing and optimization process as much as possible. It's a rigorous method, and it's very much rooted in the science and methodology that you've heard us describe on many other web clinics. And we will actually show you today how to use this testing approach to build and analyze more effective tests overcome some of these common obstacles that we've mentioned here, and ultimately to get better ROI gains for your tests and your optimization efforts. So I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Flint McLaughlin, the Director of Mech Labs Group and Marketing Experiments, who will lead the clinic and go through our test protocol and process, look at a recent test, and show how this approach can benefit your optimization efforts. There are stages in scientific research. We are a, a science laboratory, and this is a very simplified uh, set of steps that you may have heard before, but identifying a research objective is a critical aspect in science, and frankly, it's much harder than most people realize. Uh, gathering all your prior research knowledge, uh, making sure that you are taking advantage of existing data sets and context, and then uh, beginning an iterative, that is a, a repeating process of experimentation. Now, that's very critical because never think of testing as an experiment to get a better conversion rate and you move on to the next challenge. The reality is, as some of you have seen in our other clinics, within, within the New York Times, for instance, this was a research partner, someone who attended conferences or events or calls like you contacted us and we did a research partnership with them. We saw a gain initially of 64%, but over 18 months of testing, we saw an overall lift of 1,052%, and that's in a documented study over, uh, you know, an 18-month cycle. You, you don't test and stop. You test and learn, and thus you refine and test again. The problem is that's all just abstract intention unless you have a method. So if you've just uh, kind of tuned into one of your first marketing experiments or clinics, the goal here is to help you learn something about the testing process, and I want to give you something we've never shared before in one of our clinics. It is something we've referenced, but we've never broken it down for. What you're seeing is a slide indicating something we call a test protocol. Now, test protocol is a very particular uh, document that we develop. It is really a, a, a specialized spreadsheet that helps us plan and execute our tests. It also codifies all of our learnings and helps us to answer the question why. Whenever we work with a research partner, we build a test protocol for every single experiment. 
and this protocol documents our findings. And I want to teach you a little bit about this so that you can use it. You don't have to be an expert today in experimentation to glean these multiple steps and to use these steps in your own test plan. I'm going to now look at the summary, the first tab of the spreadsheet, and we're going to break it down into sections and, uh, and talk about it briefly, and then we're going to carry you forward and look at another experiment. With this new experiment, we're going to show you again how what we talk about now helps us make better decisions going forward. So look at this particular protocol, and you'll see, first of all, the test question. Now, an A-B split test question always begins with a question, which? If I bring a group of PhDs together and run this particular, uh, say, an exercise with them, asking them to put together the test question, in most cases, it's been my experience, they do not get this part right. Because they, they, they will fo focus on a research question that's bigger than that particular research question that you're actually solving with an A-B split test. Now, if you're new to testing and you don't know what I'm talking about when I say A-B split test, I can't teach that now, but I'm very empathetic with you. And you can go to the Marking Experiments website, and there's about $10 million of the research there. It's all free. Just get in there and look up A-B testing in the search and It'll talk about that. There's also a, a, a certification class you can get that teaches you the fundamentals of testing. But uh, essentially what we're doing is we're testing uh, one version against another in real time by displaying it every other instance to people who visit uh, a website. For, and that's an oversimplification, but for those of you that understand, that's a simple way to say it. All right, so let's keep going. Um, Next, we nail down the variable and the values. Now, before you go too much further, look at the top of the page. You're going to see a formula. It says U equals 2Q plus T plus M plus 2D plus I. Now, that is a part of our patent-pending methodology that we use to, to run an effective test. Uh, the word U is the one I want to break down right now. It stands for a useful test because it's not enough to get an accurate test. You need a test that's actually useful, a test that actually helps you move an important number forward. And, uh, or find something that will help you later move an important uh, metric. But in the end, you're looking for a test that contributes, that adds value. And to do that, you need some, some methodology. And you should start with a question. You should identify the treatment. Then you identify the variable and the values. Now, a variable is the, is the actual element you're testing, and the values are the various versions. To keep it simpler, if you had three headlines, uh, the same word but different colors, the, the variable would be the headline, and the value would be red, blue, and black. That would be the three colors you were testing. And that might be all that you're testing, and that would be your variable and your values. Then you move down to metrics and you ask yourself, well, what do I need to actually measure? And in this case, it's the conversion rate of the path. In other cases, it might be clicked through off the landing page when you change the color of the headline or clicked through on the buy button. Then comes validation, and I want to just stop here. And again, please know this. I'm trying to give you an overview. I'm trying to help you understand the whole process. I don't want to frustrate you with the fact that, you know, there's in-depth teaching on each one of these points, but it would be more important right now to give you a full view and then drill down on the portion of this that can help you today. Notice question 4.1 from a protocol. Have you considered the impact of these validation threats? And it lists four, and there's about a dozen that you might study in relation to online testing. Uh, we have patents pending on, on this approach, 
But there are four very critical variables that you need to look for in every test. One is the history effect. The other is instrumentation. The other is selection. And the fourth is sample distortion. Let's, let's look at all four of them in reverse order. This may be the most important part of the call. I do not have a fancy slide, but I have four threats to your testing right now. Most of them are not thoroughly understood, and these four threats could really cause you to miss something very important in the test you're running right now or the test you're getting ready to run. So if you'll bear with me for three minutes, I want to look at these. One, sample distortion effect is the one that we're all familiar with most. That is, did you get a large enough sample? Did you test enough on the A's and the B's? I mean, to keep it very simple, were there 10,000 visits to your site, and did you have a big enough difference in the results that you could measure the actions and come up with a confident prediction that one particular treatment is better than another? Now, we call that sample distortion. That's the name. Some of you call it confidence intervals. And there's, I, I, there's a lot of slang terms on the net port, but it's really serious. You need to understand. And by the way, you don't have to have 10,000 necessarily. And I get a lot of questions about this, such as, how many do I need? Well, there is no fixed answer for that. It depends on how wide the difference is in the results between A and B. But you need enough so that you can make a confident prediction. And there's a way to calculate that. You don't have to be a statistician. You don't have to be a mathematician. You just need to understand that that's a threat you need to deal with. And if you have questions about how to deal with it, we may be able to help you. With our research partners, we actually calculate it for them and run the whole thing. But the bottom line is, you need to be aware of that particular issue. The second thing is select effect. Now, this is really critical. And I see this mistake made over and over again. Uh, I see, for instance, that uh, uh, someone will test a control against the treatment using uh, the house list. Maybe it's an email sent. What they're not considering is that their house list is their probably best list in many cases. It's the most motivated potential buyers. They get results from that. They say, well, this page is the best. And then they take the same page and push it in front of their paid search. Well, guess what? It doesn't convert nearly as well for paid search. And then the next thing they know, they're losing money with their campaigns. But it takes them 45 days to figure it out. And they don't realize that what happened was they had a very different traffic sample in the test than the actual traffic they were going to be running to the page because the house list is something you can't use every day and the page search is being used frequently. And in effect, there was a distortion of their results because they did not select the right sample to run their test with. Uh, that's called selection effect and it's a common mistake, uh, a common threat that, uh, that I see across the net and rarely is it ever planned for properly. The next piece is an instrumentation effect, and I see this with some of the biggest tools out there. I just saw it with one of the most, I won't, I, I won't say the name of the company because I'm not trying to hurt the company, uh, but I just saw it with a brand name testing tool that uh, ran a series of experiments for a very large Fortune 500, Fortune 100 company, and in effect, their instrumentation error caused that major company to have problems and it skewed any results from any testing. It interfered with the code for running the test, interfered with what was happening on the site, thus it messed the display up, and so the test results were skewed by a messed up display, 
but it was the actual testing mechanism that caused it. This is called instrumentation effect, and it happens far more frequently than we realize, and it happens with big brand name testing tools. Uh, a final piece is the history effect. And all I want to tell you about the history effect, and this is a critical piece also, is that you can run a sequential test or run a test, say, during the spike time of your traffic when you have your most motivated buyers, let's suppose that's every weekend on Saturday and Sunday, and uh, your test is powerful, and then you think that you have a good result, you run the test, you get validity, so you then push all the results out to the balance of your week, and you find you're not getting nearly the conversion rate that you thought. And you don't realize that the buyers you have on the Saturday and Sunday are different than the buyers you have on Monday and Tuesday. And so now you've got selection effect and history effect, and it happens because essentially the timing of the test skewed the results. Now, it might be that having pointed out these four threats, I'm creating in you a kind of intimidation that, my goodness, we could never run tests. No, good marketers who don't even have an MBA, much less a, uh, a, you know, a PhD, run tests effectively every day on the Internet with a limited amount of knowledge, but they must know at least what the threats are, and they must have a simple way to deal with such threats so they get useful information and can therefore make good decisions. I can't tell you how all over the Internet I see people touting their testing ideas and I, showing contests about which test was this and which test was that. And you go down deep and you say, but what is the methodology underneath this test? Was the test run properly? Very careful right now because everyone's out there talking about testing and this test and that test. But unless you can see the data sets, you don't know and you can't even be confident that there's enough um, validity to the data set that you're seeing. We need to be a little more uh, careful in our claims. That brings me to uh, the, the next piece of this, and we're going to move on quickly here. Here's metrics and results. And then comes, and this is something you need to look at, the interpretation. This is a place where we fail a lot. Now, ideally, for instance, if you were a partner, a research partner, you were working with, or you are doing this in your, uh, say, with your own group, you want to keep a record of all your tests. We create a big notebook, and we put a protocol in for every experiment. And the most important part is not the metric. It's not how much did it win or lose. It's the expert speculation and key insights that are gathered. Um, here you see a series of paragraphs. These are thoughts and comments by the team who considered the differences in the treatments and gained insights or considered possibilities that will later impact future testing. Further, those insights suggest follow-up tests. And you can see in here how you're gleaning. This is the suggested follow-up test. All of this is part of the interpretation. And this helps you determine what I'm going to test next. So each of these are critical points. And, and essentially, what I'm, what I'm advocating here is not that you need to complexify your testing process. It's already complex. You need to simplify it. And the way you simplify it is not with some kind of random strategy, but rather by putting together a simple methodology, probably involving the steps I've laid out in this particular presentation, and we'll just go over them one time again for everyone. The questions, the treatment, the metrics, the validation along with breaths, the results, and the interpretation. These phases of proper test planning applied systematically will help you get actionable data that you can rely upon.
And they'll yield something else. And this leads me up to the final and kind of most important section, really the most interesting part of what I have to say. They yield the why factor. That is, they help you to understand why uh, someone uh, is moving in a particular way, why someone uh, chose not to purchase, or why someone clicked away, or why someone put up with a ferociously difficult process and still signed up anyway. Because until you answer those why questions, you're not really able to design proper treatments going forward in the future. So let's look at how our team of uh, analysts and scientists looked at the past uh, test, the one we just did, and how they planned the next test in the funnel and some of the surprises associated with that. And to do that, I want to go to experiment two. And this is uh, the goal. It's the same. We want to increase sales of paid subscription memberships, but in particular now, we're moving further down the funnel. And we're looking for which path will produce a higher conversion rate to a paid subscription. The same research question, except that um, it's, it's inclusive of, you know, in a broader experiment than what we did the first time. We might have made the first research question tighter because it was about a conversion to a free subscriber. Still, it was always done with a goal towards the bigger picture and the bigger research question in the series of experiments, and that's how do we get more paid subscribers. Bear this in mind. It doesn't matter whether you're on the line now and your, your, your product's paid subscription or not. It's the process we're going to look at together. You may recall that we saw three things from this that seemed obvious. The reduction of steps drives conversion. How many of you have already seen that if you reduce the number of steps and the friction, you typically get an increase? If so, would you just vote for a second and say, yes, I'm watching you. Uh, tell me if that's been significant for you. And I'm looking at Sally who says yes, and Mark, and uh, Charles, and Kim, and Rick, and Lisa, and Steve, and Zach. By the way, some of you are old-time uh, attendees to these events, and, and I, it's great to see you again. And uh, we've had special guests for the last two, and I've missed seeing some of these names and getting your feedback. Uh, very good. Many, of, All of you are, uh, are, are pretty much in agreement. Uh, one of the things that we began teaching years ago was friction, what it was, and how it slowed the conversion process. And in general, you are correct. Uh, reduction of steps drives conversion. Remember, it's, it's not a rule. It's an observation. Now, a rule is something you count on every time. An observation is something that we've noticed, and thus we want to apply it. We never give it the authority of a rule. Please keep that in mind. That's good science, and you need to keep it in mind as we go forward. The second thing we saw was that the feature matrix didn't work, and our people speculated that it might just be too much. It was overwhelming. And the third one was that four equally weighted calls to action are confusing. Now, we got 139.18% gain with the new users on experiment one, so we want to just stop there. And then taking that big hit downstream in more subscribers who are paid, because we're obviously getting way more people from the process, way more free subscribers. But we did not. Uh, we continued to test, and using our protocol, a number 1169, which is that little gray box, and now you know what it means when you see that on, on one of our experiments, you'll see always the test protocol number. That's from our library. We went further and designed a new test, and I want to show you the new test that we designed. This time, uh, we are taking them and trying to upgrade them to a paid membership. So they go from a control page to payment page to thank you page. That's the normal way. But we now do an offer page, or I'm sorry, an optimized page. That's the control, but now it's been optimized to a payment page to a thank you page. 
It's the same flow. It's just the pages look different. And we have two versions of that. And then down here, we have a shorter version that only has optimized page to thank you page. In other words, instead of a three-step process, it's two steps. And you might even say instead of two, it's one because the thank you page comes up automatically. So if you look up above, you're going to see there are three flows, three paths, and they're three pages long. And down below, there are two paths, and they're two pages long, but essentially you're collecting cell information all on that first page. That's the main difference. All right. Now, looking at that, I want you to look at the flow, because I'm going to ask you to tell me which one you think is going to work best in just a minute. And I want you to think about, you know, the number of pages and, and, and look at the flow, and let's drill down and look at what was wrong with the control. So now we have a control path. You go from clicking in that little orange box on the left, to a page that presents the offer, to and from there to the payment page. Now, the offer is right here in this small area, and we looked at a version of it before, and I, I would normally break it out in great depth for you, but I can't do it. We're going to look at it a little bit more in just a second, and a little bit more depth, but I'm being careful balancing this because we're more about testing today than we are about subscription products. But there are four equally weighted payment options. You should see them, one, two, three, four at the bottom. And uh, then there's a checkout process, and let's just go down a little deeper. So here is the control payment page. Now, you'll notice that if you follow the conversion sequence up at the top here that we've taught many times, again, if you're new to this call, you can go to our website and look up a conversion sequence, and the conversion sequence will help you. Um, also, for many of you that are on the call right now, before we're done, I'm going to take you to the two most important ways I think you can take everything I've said today and get them working for you in a more effective way, extend them throughout your business and get more success with them. I'm building up to a single slide at the end, and I want to take that slide and lay out for you very clearly two ways to get more help. But for now, I want to just keep teaching. So you'll see C equals 4M plus 3V. I can't teach that now. You all, many of you have heard this, teach this before. If you haven't heard it, go to our website. You can read the research report, or you can actually get me teaching the research uh, right there on the website and listen to the clinic. Bottom line is, V stands for the clarity of the value proposition, and we're on the shopping cart page. And audience, would you agree with me that the value proposition is not real clear on this page? and that the copy and the layout of each section of the page is expressed in uh, something that makes sense for the merchant, but not necessarily for the customer, and so there is friction on the page. Yes. All right. Then uh, let's go forward and look a little bit further on the control page. I want you to see a new offer page. This is the offer page for treatment one. Now you have a headline. You have visuals, and you have options but it's one clear defined objective, and you don't have four equally weighted options, and you have one that's already pre-picked. It's still very light on text. It's very simple. You also have a feature matrix. It's a simple feature matrix, but you have a feature matrix on here, which is a bit counterintuitive. The truth is we just discovered in a recent test that that's not the best way to go, but now we're using it again. There's a reason. Let's move on. Then... Um, the treatment two offer page, so this is the third path, has a really in-depth, really in-depth matrix comparing the difference in options. And it shows the difference between one year, three months, 
one month, and basic. And remember, these are already subscribers that are seeing this offer. We've got them to take a free membership. Then look at the treatment one and two payment page. They're identical. Now it's real clear with a headline. There's a simplified iPath. The options are streamlined. It's much easier. And the credibility indicators are on the page. And anxiety relief, that is all that information about credit card safety and the key logos. It ain't a pretty page. But it's a different page than the one that we've tested. And pretty is not the main objective at present. Let's keep going. There's the treatment free offer page. And uh, this page is much like the pages we saw before, except you combine the last pages into one step. You get it all on one page. Make your decision right here. You don't have to click. We don't lose the audience. You make your decision right here. All right? And, and uh, then there's uh, treatment four. And it is the same thing except almost no text, just the matrix, make the decision, get it over with, move on. Now, I, I, I just want to point out that there was a control, and, uh, and, uh, and there are these four treatments. So let's go back. There's treatment four. In fact, I'm just going to take you back to main chart, give me just a second, that outlines all of these. There you go. You have the control payment page, and you have the optimized page, which we saw, and another version of it with a feature matrix, and then you have, I'm here at the bottom, two versions that do it all on one page. So we're going to call this control one, two, three, and four. So you're going to vote for me now, either C, or one, or two, or three, or four. Let's get your votes. Go ahead and use the Q&A. Let me see how you're thinking. All right, one, four, four, two, three, three, one. I have somebody who wrote down, Ricky wrote down one, two, or four. Ricky, there's a good one. <laughs> Go uh, Jennifer, three. Nicholas, one. Mary, three. Ken, four. David, two, four, three, four, four. Uh, uh, I see a one, a two, a three. All right, there's, there's the, you know, the votes are still coming in. Keep voting, I'm watching. Scott says, I'm sure it will be a surprise. I'll tell you this. We don't ask ourselves, how can we fool the audience? I mean, this is science. If you're not getting surprised, you're not asking the right questions. Sometimes you, it's exactly what you expect, and sometimes it's not. And, uh, you know, if we ever get to the place around here in our own research where every single test yields a gain, then we're not testing right. It means we're not taking the proper risk. We're not, we're not really operating the way a good lab should operate. And it's very important that you don't allow your testing within your companies to be a political uh, contest to see who knows the most about marketing. What you'd want to do, if you can, is just simply say when there's some kind of uh, uh, disagreement of this, let's test. And you'd be better off to say, I don't know, my hunch is this, but I could be wrong, let's run an experiment. That simple phrase, I don't know, this is what I, uh, that my hunch is this, let's run an experiment, it's probably one of the safest, smartest ways you could possibly approach a difference in marketing opinion with your peers. Because you might be wrong. But whether you are or you're not, uh, moving them towards an experiment changes the whole culture. If you can ever get this ingrained in your companies, and some of you, by the way, I love these kinds of guys for research partners.
some of you actually run your own company. And you're trying to get this culture in. I mean, we have all kinds on here from around the world. Some of you from very big companies. Some of the biggest companies in the world have their teams on here right now. But some of you are running a $5 million or a $25 or a $50 million company, and you're still a major decision maker in what goes on there. If you can, or maybe you're running the marketing group, you need to get this process and this philosophy of experimentation worked right into the very fiber of how you think about marketing. It will yield such a huge dividend on the backside. It will help you so much understand what works and what, what doesn't work as you go forward. And we're constantly doing it here. We took all the initiatives from one of the companies, one of our research partners uh, last month. I just looked at it. Every single marketing initiative with the experiment and the ROI on every one and then compared it with the plans for the following month. And what you have going on is not just, you know, four marketers in a room having a dogfight about what we should do in July or August or September. Instead, you have everybody building a plan that's being modified in real time based on the results of the last month so that all of your marketing was set up as experiments, not just the conversion, but the email sends and, and the direct mail postcards and the telemarketing. And by the way, uh, in this particular case, the direct, the telemarketing and direct mail were two of the most powerful pieces to work in conjunction with the website. And they'll get more investment in the following month based on test results, not who has the most, the loudest opinion. But let's go on. You voted. Let's see the results. I've got to go forward several slides out there. There they are. Controls conversion rate was 0.41%. The treatment was 0.91%. Treatment 2 was 0.67%. Treatment 3, 0.91%. Treatment 4, 0.87%. If you just cut through it, we got a tie. Treatments one and three outperformed the control by over 119%. Now, you've got to understand that we already got the very large gain at the beginning that we described. So this is yet another increase further into the process. That's very exciting. And if you look at all of these side by side, it yields some really interesting insights. The first was pretty obvious. Guess what? The feature matrix can work. In this case, the simpler version produced the highest yield, but the feature matrix might have been dropped based on the first experiment, but because of our vast uh, library of case studies and experiments, we know feature matrices can be helpful done properly, so we didn't give up. We went to what I would say is counterintuitive based on the findings of the thing we studied first together, that first experiment, and we ran a feature matrix, and guess what? It produced yield. But there's something else fascinating here, and this requires more testing. It raises a big question for me. Look at this together and tell me what's one of the most surprising points about uh, the fact that 1 and 3 won. Look at it quickly. Yes, Dale, you got it right. I'm looking at your feedback. Uh, Dale, Dale nailed it. Treatment one is two steps. Treatment three is one step. And guess what? The two-step process scored as high as the one-step process. Now, when you get findings this close together, because treatment four is 110%, this is where you need to make sure that you have the test protocol that we talked about and that you're getting validity because... There's not a wide range of difference between, uh, say, treatment one, three, 
and four. And if you don't have a large enough sample size, you might, you might have pulled the trigger too soon and decided you had the right results before you really had enough data. In this case, we let the test run long enough to know we had it right. And what fascinates me is that treatment one and treatment three perform equally well, and one is two steps and the other is one step. But the methodology protects you. The methodology allows you to go back and learn. I want to stop there for just a second because I'm drawing close to the point where I'm going to take you up to this final slide and show you how to get more help. But do you have questions for me based on what you've seen so far? Any questions? A lot of you are making comments based on the, the, the comparison of these, and I like your comments. We go back and read every single thing you write to us. How do you split the traffic, says Steve? Well, the, the reality is uh, there's a lot of testing tools out there. The real art is not having a testing tool. It's knowing what to test, which is what we focus mainly on here at Marketing Experiments, teaching you what you should be testing. But, uh, Steve, if you will... Uh, uh, write one of our people based on the information I give you here in just a moment. We'll give you some free tools that you can use to split the traffic and some links to those tools that will help you. Um, I see other questions coming in. Uh, what about low sample size, says Jim. We're experimenting with Bayes' theorem to reduce the number of samples that you need to actually get a meaningful result. But low sample size is something that uh, is a problem for people who don't have a great deal of traffic. And I would recommend when your traffic samples are small, first of all, don't test isolated variables. Never do multivariable tests in that case. And go for radical clusters, radical redesigns and variable clusters. If you don't know what that is, write us about that, and we'll help you try to get an answer to that. We might post something even on the blog about it if, if enough of you have questions about that. But those two techniques can help you. Um, Someone said, is there a simple rule of thumb for useful sample size? I don't know if there's a simple rule of thumb. There's a formula. And uh, we teach that. I'm not selling the class, but we do teach it in a simple fundamentals online testing, and we give you a, a spreadsheet tool to calculate it every time. Uh, other than that, some of the testing tools will do it for you that you might be able to get uh, if you get the right ones. Uh, let me see if there's anything else. Would longer copy increase conversion further? That's Chuck. Chuck, great question. Uh, we have seen this to be counterintuitive. With the New York Times, when we lengthened the copy, we got a higher conversion rate. Some of our research partners, it's been just the opposite. This test would be interesting with longer copy, particularly on the upsell from the, from the free membership to the paid membership. I, that's the kind of radical redesign that needs to be tested. Uh, let me ask you this, because I'm going to take you to these two slides. Let me see my time. I've only got four minutes left. Talk to me real quickly. Tell me, is this useful? So far, what we've talked to today, is this, is this clinic been useful for you? Give me some feedback quickly. I'd like to get your feedback, and I'm going to display some pages and wrap this up. But hearing from you helps us get this, you know, uh, as good as possible the next time we teach. Because we'll be back in two weeks teaching again. And we want to give you the right balance between actual visual case studies and experiments and, and practical instruction. And today, I have to tell you, I had a hard... This is a hard session for me because I'm, I have to determine what level to teach at. And I'm trying to give you a solid overview and yet make sure it's not just fluff because uh, uh, what I'd like to do is drill down much longer on each of those points and, uh, and help you. Good. I'm watching, I'm watching your feedback, and uh, it's, it's great. It's, I really appreciate it. That's very helpful for us. All right. Let me then just kind of pull this together and... and um, 
what I'm asking to do as a community of marketers, I think I'm advocating a methodology, a systematic, scientific way to run your tests. I suggest that you be very skeptical of most tests that you see. I suggest that you be very skeptical when you see little contests on the Internet or displays of this test or that test against another. Until you can get down and see the data and the methodology, until you know there's good science underneath it, I wouldn't put a lot of stock in, in, in such things. You need a methodology. The other thing is I, um, I, uh, I promise to give you two ways that I think you can take this uh, and get more out of it. The, the first thing is the markexperiments.com. If, if, if this is helpful, we're teaching how to optimize your landing pages and how to run tests. And we're all over the country. I, at the beginning, I saw it when I came in. I have not seen that slide before, but if you go to that link or to our website, it'll tell you all the cities we're coming to. And we'll come in and we'll teach you face-to-face, -face, help you really master this, and you can learn about that. The other thing is some of you on here are listening to this, and the problem is either you, you don't have the expertise or you have the expertise and you don't have the bandwidth. But we, and we can't do this with many, but we are always looking for key research partners that help us get the information that we're learning and we can share with you now. And uh, if you're a company that, uh, you know, has an aggressive marketing budget and you're trying to understand the most effective way, you may not be a huge company. Uh, that's all right. But we're looking for the right kinds of partners. We have a whole new series of tests we're doing with social media, uh, tests that we want to do with Twitter, tests that we're doing with a landing page optimization for B2B, for B2C, for lead gen, and we have to identify in each of those experiments the perfect partner. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, we, while we can't do it, many of the people that, that, uh, that contact us, you, you could be one that would be good for us. So uh, call Andy Martin overseeing that project or, or go through the link and, and find out more. In the meantime, I want to thank you very much for your trust and for your attention. We're trying to get better and better, and uh, we've actually maxed out all the available places we can find on the net to run these kind of events because we can't, the, as you probably know if you attended in the last month, we can't get all the people who are trying to attend on. Uh, we can't find a system big enough to handle us from a technology standpoint, and we're working both on that. When you hear about the next one coming up, the next clinic, register early and get a seat before we have to cut it off. And uh, none of this costs anything in terms of this, these clinics. But it would be great if you'd share it with a friend uh, because we want to build a larger and larger community that we can learn from. So thank you very much. Give me more feedback. I'm watching and listening and reading all of it, and I thank you. Um, I'm being told to tell you about a survey. Yes. There's a survey, too, that uh, will come as you log out today. We'd love to get your feedback to that survey. That helps us make these better. Thank you all, and take care. We'll see you in two weeks.